We've been in a worship series for the past few weeks on the Gospel of Mark, and today we'll be looking at the conclusion of Mark chapter four and the beginning of Mark chapter five. If you'd like to, you can follow along in your pew Bibles, or you can also read on the screen in front of you as well. Listen to God's word. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away 
and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the past few weeks, I I found some research from a few neuroscientists that were talking about uh, our interaction as humans with technology. And some of the research I saw I thought was very fascinating. And two of the ideas that came up I thought were interesting as it pertains to the text that we have in front of us today. The neuroscientists were talking about that some technology is cooperative with our cognitive functions. And some technology we use actually disengages our cognitive functions in life and and unlearns things that maybe we already knew or already learned. So examples of this are that for those of us who drive and get from one place to another place using Google Maps or something like that, using Google Maps on our phones actually unlearns our way of navigating in the world because we follow Google everywhere we go, right? Have you had this experience? Um, Instead of knowing where streets are or that houses on one side of the street are oddly numbered and the other side of the street are even numbers, we don't even recognize these things anymore. Or that certain interstate numbers like even numbers, those go Do those go east and west? Yes, and odd numbers go north and south. We don't even know these things anymore. We've unlearned all of it as a result of our connection to technology. But there's some things that are cooperative with our cognitive function, some things that we can internalize when we use technology. And they talked about things like language. So if you use a language app like Duolingo and you learn a brand new language on your phone and and you learn maybe Spanish or French or some other kind of language and you interact with it, you can take the device away and you've learned a new skill set and you can interact with other humans. It's become internalized to you. I thought this idea of technology that can be cooperative with our cognitive functions was really interesting. It's really interesting. This past week I had the chance to hear a really great podcast Um, and the person that was featured on the podcast was an old friend of mine. His name is Jason Leonard. He's the executive director of a college ministry in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he was my college pastor for two years, many, many years ago. And it was a delight to hear him speak again and to share his thoughts about Christian ministry, especially in what is happening right now in college ministry settings and what God is doing in the midst of his college ministry setting there. And he was talking a lot about social media, and especially what I mentioned about the increased role of technology in our lives. And he was talking about what this is like for college students. And he said one of the things that's really interesting as it pertains to college students and their romantic relationships with one another is the increased use of social media. He said that on college campus, uh, you know, if a student is interested in asking somebody out on a date. They go out on a date, maybe they go to dinner or go to a movie or I don't know, whatever 19-year-olds do today to go on a romantic date. And when they're done with the romantic date, 
They go back to their dorm room, and the first thing they do is they go look at social media. They try to find out on social media if it's on Snapchat or Instagram or maybe some kind of group chat that they're a part of, or even they might open up their text messaging app and hope to see the dot, dot, dot typing information to you. And in that space, they're doing this because what they want to know is, did that person enjoy that experience with me? They're hoping to see on one of those social media platforms, maybe in some kind of cryptic language, had a good time tonight. Had a good time tonight. It's kind of like a wink, wink, you know, ask me out again. <laughs> and, my, and, my, and my friend Jason said, it's actually really kind of challenge because what I try to instruct in these young people as they're going through their romantic relationships and their relationship with Jesus is that we want to rush into feeling loved, feeling known by someone else. He said, we prefer intimacy without vulnerability. We prefer intimacy without vulnerability, all of us. And social media has done something so that we can rush to that information right away. Experience intimacy without vulnerability. So that just hours after that date, they could go, oh, they like me. I'm gonna ask them out again. And my friend Jason said, I try to encourage young people to not do that. But instead to allow Jesus to enter into their life in that time as they do a discernment process on whether or not they want to ask this person out on another date to address their own anxieties that they have inside of themselves about whether or not they want to ask this person out on another date, to just take some time, a day or two days, and then reach out, and then look at your text message and send a message and say, hey, what are you doing this next Friday night? I thought that was really fascinating that this was Jason's encouragement to young people as they go through their dating relationships, to, to let Jesus come in in that day or two to address the anxiety within themselves that they may have. Do I feel loved? Do I feel lovable? Could this person be a good person for me? What I think is fascinating about this is that idea from the technology piece, that Jesus cooperates with our cognitive function. Jesus cooperates with our cognitive function when he addresses our anxiety, when he addresses the, perhaps even the evil within us. You heard in these stories, as Kristen told so wonderfully to the children, uh, that the disciples go to the other side of the lake of Galilee, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They leave the crowds behind. Jesus has done this kind of incredible ministry so far in Galilee. Crowds are gathered around him. He's doing all these amazing things, and they leave that behind for a period of time to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while they're on the boat, and this great windstorm arises, uh, the disciples are terrified. They have this horrendously anxious moment that's taking place in front of them. And it struck me again as I read that text to you all this morning. They look at Jesus and they ask him this question, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They are deeply anxious. They're worried about their own safety and their own livelihood. And they ask him this question. And obviously Jesus cares about their life and cares that they are perishing in this moment, so much so that he commands the winds to stop and the seas get calm, and he just says, peace, be still. He says, do you not have faith? Do you not have trust in me after all the things you've seen take place? 
Certainly after that situation, perhaps they do have more trust. They do have more faith. And then they find themselves on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the land of the Gerasenes. And one of the most fascinating stories in all of Mark's gospel that you heard takes place. It's a terrifying scene, is it not? It's It's a terrifying scene. So many of the gospel stories maybe lack detail, but not this story. This story is filled with detail about this person who finds Jesus, who has unclean spirits inside of them, and the person with unclean spirits was howling, was yelling, lived next to the tombs, was shackled and chained up, was cutting themselves, but was so powerful and strong that the shackles and the chains couldn't bind them anymore, and this person rushes in to see Jesus as soon as they get off the boat. I mean, this is a terrifying image that Mark has portrayed for us about this encounter between these two people. And as they engage in dialogue and in conversation, the first thing that Jesus says to this person is, what is your name? What is your name? I love this question because I feel like it is so disarming to this very intense and anxious producing moment in the midst of what's happening between Jesus and this person coming in front of them. What is your name? It slows the whole narrative down and in doing so, Jesus addresses the evil spirits within this person to discern who they are. And that person knows who Jesus is and simply asks that they would have permission to leave that human and go into the pigs. They do this, and the pigs go into the sea and they drown and they die. And then there's this beautiful vision of, I think a beautiful vision of what happens after Jesus addresses these evil spirits, sends them out of this person. People hear about it and they come back and they see Jesus sitting there with the demoniac. But the demoniac is clothed and is in his right mind. Did you hear that in the text? There was a movement from a person who was terrifying, who was obviously bruised and chained up and didn't have clothes on, and now here's a person in their right mind and clothed and sitting with Jesus. Jesus, through this simple question of what is your name, addresses the anxiety, addresses the evil spirits within this person, and in doing so, gives permission to let them leave that people, to leave that people. And Jesus empowers that person in that moment to a deeper place of faith, trust, and healing. This is a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. It's an amazing story in the Gospel of Mark. When I think back to the lives of these college students, I think that's what my friend Jason was trying to recommend to them. What is the anxiety you're carrying? that makes you want to rush into feeling accepted or feeling loved? What's the anxiety within you right now in this moment? And allow Jesus to speak into that. And when you allow Jesus to speak into that anxiety, it's not like an enabling speaking in, but it's gonna empower you to feel strong and courageous and a deeper sense of faith and trust as you navigate this world as a college student and trying to seek out romantic relationships. You'll find yourself more courageous and more strong with a stronger faith, a stronger faith. Yesterday we had this beautiful memorial service for Vic Granholm yesterday. Um, 
the longer I stay here as one of your pastors, the more memorial services I go to, and I'm just struck by the beauty and frankly the testimonies I hear about how God is at work in people's lives. It's such a rich experience, and, and I have been grieving this week as we lost one of our own in our own community, and I just so appreciated that we got the chance to gather together yesterday to worship and to pray together and to hear these testimonies. And one of the things I was really struck by was Bob's testimony, Vic's son, yesterday. Thank you, Bob, for sharing yesterday. I didn't know much of Vic's journey of faith, but the way Bob told about it and the way Mary told about it was so rich and beautiful. Um, Vic didn't grow up in a Christian home or participate in uh, a church life until Bob had created his own faith formation and his own journey of faith and got involved in a Christian community. And Vic flew out to go see what Bob was doing, um, probably with a sense of suspicion. <laughs> Maybe he had some anxiety. What is Bob doing? <laughs> what is Bob doing? And, and Vic, in the midst of his suspicion and anxiety about what Bob was doing, found that there was a great community of people, actually, that surrounded Bob. They had a high quality of character, and it spoke to their relationship with God. And Vic was opened up to perhaps a new way of life, a new way of relationship with God. And when he got back on the airplane to fly home to California, to San Carlos, he sat next to a pastor, to a minister on the airplane. And he opened up about his own anxiety. He opened up to that pastor about his journey of life, which was that he lost his own biological father at the age of three, and that he had a deep need for being loved and accepted in his life from a father figure. And the pastor handed him a book of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he heard for the very first time in his life that there was a heavenly father who loved him. Oh, I thought this was such a beautiful story. I, it just made me both filled with love and lament that we lost a beautiful one in our community. God was powerfully at work in his life. And when I think about these stories from the sea and from the garrison demoniac, he had, he had an anxiety. And yet Jesus entered in and asked, what is your name? What is the name of this anxiety? I want to be strong and faithful for you in this place, whatever it is that's going on in your life, and I'm gonna be with you. I heard Jesus saying that in that story yesterday. Thank you for sharing the stories. It was beautiful. In the story about the Gerasene demoniac, one of the things that's, that's in the story itself is a multinational and a multiracial reality. Jesus is doing ministry in Galilee for the first four chapters of Mark. Galilee, for the most part, is a Jewish community of people, for the most part. Yes, the Romans came and they occupied that space, so there's a sense in which there's some multinational realities happening. But when he travels across the Sea of Galilee into the new land of the Gerasenes, it's a much more multinational, multiracial environment that's happening in that place. It's less Jewish, it's more Gentile. There are Romans who are present there. When Jesus asks, what is your name, to the evil spirits within the Gerasene demoniac, the demoniac says, my name is Legion. And the sentence that follows after that says, which means many. Legion was a Latin word that was used to describe a garrison of Roman military people. Usually about 5,000 troops were part of a legion in the Roman military. And so it's not simply that legion means many, 
but that it carries this weight of like Roman military presence in that place too as a part of the unclean spirits within him. Jesus was entering into this profoundly multiracial, multinational setting in which he was doing ministry and he was casting out these unclean spirits to see healing happen in the midst of that setting in that environment. And God was working in powerful ways in that setting and in that, in the life of the garrison demoniac until he got to the point at which he was sitting with Jesus with a right mind and healed and clothed again. I grew up in uh, Colorado, just on the outskirts of Boulder, Colorado. And Colorado's a beautiful place if you've ever been there. It's a beautiful place. My world was not so multiracial or multinational where I grew up in Colorado. It was a very oddly segregated world when it came to race and ethnicity in my community. And it was strange because there was no laws that there should be segregation, you know, when I was growing up in the 1990s, but it just so happened that our schools were all profoundly segregated. So the high school I went to was 98% Caucasian or 98% white. And the other high school in my town was 70% Latino and Latina. My school was referred to as the wealthy school or the good school, and that school was referred to as the bad school, the school you didn't want to go to that was on the other side of the tracks. And as much as I am a loving person, and I want to be a loving person, the ways in which people would describe the relationship between this school and that school were often used in very derogatory ways. That's the bad school, those are the bad people, and you can imagine other kind of words that people would use to describe them. And there was a way in which my participation in those social dynamics shaped me. They shaped me, informed me, and had a formative role in my life. My favorite sport growing up was basketball, and my very last basketball game as a high school student was against that high school in the playoffs. And we lost, and I still remember crying in the gym afterwards <laughs> at the loss of that basketball game. I'll never forget that moment of just pure tears uh, against our rivals. But I have to say, and what I mean by this idea is like, as much as I wanted to be a loving person, living in that social context and that social environment, um, there was things that were formed in me that I needed to unform and unlearn. And a few years ago, Rafael Avendano invited me to come play basketball at Siena Youth Center about four years ago. And unbeknownst to him, I love basketball. And is, I was like, yes, I've been looking for a place to play basketball. <laughs> I have a deep hole and need in my life for this. So I went to play basketball. And the first time I got there, I was the only white person in the gym. And there was about 15 or 20 people in the gym. And I felt in me some like weird anxiety or a weird unclean spirit in me when I was in that gym that night. And I simply just tried my best to go, Jesus, what is happening in me right now? Like, I want to be a loving person. I want to be gracious and caring in the world in which I live in. But this is not a thing that I have formed in myself, but it's a part of my history and a part of my dynamic. And over the course of months and years, I feel like what was happening to me was that I was coming into a right mind. I was being clothed by Jesus with every layup, with every free throw, with every game we played together, and it felt like God was exercising some unclean spirits in me. And I regularly tell people that going to Siena now is the most joyful place in the world for me. 
And I mean it when I say that because I feel like these unclean spirits have been removed from me. I've asked God to remove them from me. And in my participation with that community and the friends that I have there, they have been removed from me. Um, Not entirely, obviously, because we live in a world. And yet, God has profoundly removed some unclean spirits in my life. And I can have a right mind and be clothed again. When Jesus meets us in our anxieties and our unclean spirits that are in us, he simply asks this question, what is your name? What is your name? And Jesus is more powerful than those unclean spirits and those anxieties and will meet us in them. And when he meets us in those anxieties, it's not simply so that he can enable us from them, but he wants us to feel that power and strength from him as well so that we can become a more faithful people, that we might be a people who in the face of a perishing say, no, I have faith, Jesus will take care of us. Jesus, come take care of us, I know who you are. Jesus, remove unclean spirits from me and from this world, I know who you are, I know the work that you do. Be with us, Lord, come be with us. At the very end of the, the Gerasene demoniac story, they're sitting together, Jesus and the Gerasene demoniac, and the demoniac says, can I become one of your disciples? Can I join you on your travels? And Jesus says, no, sorry, you can't come with me. But you have a better thing you get to go do. You get to go tell the whole world in the Decapolis about all the amazing things that the Lord has done in your life. Did you hear that? Remo- Jesus was even removed from his life, and he got to go do the work of sharing the gospel with people around the Decapolis and around all of the Gerasenes. Isn't that amazing? Friends, that's us when Jesus is in our life. Jesus will meet us, will give us a right mind, will clothe us, will be able to healthy relationship and faith, and then Jesus is gonna send us out to do ministry together, brothers and sisters in this world, to share the good news about all the great things the Lord has done in our midst. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the chance to worship together. And God, I just pray that we could be a people that bring our anxieties and our unclean spirits to you and that you might do your work in removing them from us and that we might find healing, we might find power and strength in you and we might be empowered to go out into the world to share good news about all the great things that you are doing, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.